Welcome to Story of a Storyteller. I'm your host, Connor Braden. This is the show where I found out all about the ins and outs of the lives of storytellers of all kinds. You can find my free novella, The Stolen Dagger, episode show notes, links to all sorts of amazing books, and more at connorbraden.com slash podcast. Enjoy! Episode 6 of Story of a Storyteller, the podcast where I get to know the people that tell the stories we love. And my guest today is Mike Coles. Mike Coles is a lawyer, writer, and the main man behind the wonderful app Choose Your Reader. Choose Your Reader is the app where children can not only choose the story they want to listen to, but choose the family member that reads it to them. Mike tells me the story of how he came up with the idea inspired by the fact that he had to be away from his son. What's great about my talk with Mike is he talks about his son with an infectious sense of pride. He tells me all about how the two of them um, bonded over comic book superheroes and reading. We talk about the huge struggles Mike had in getting the app to where it is today and how he wants it to grow and grow. It's a truly inspirational story and I can't wait for you to hear it. In other news, I've been working hard on planning the sequel to The Longest Night, the name of which I kind of have, but, you know, I, I was very happy with the original title of The Longest Night, and then um, I got it edited, and the editor was like, ooh, that title, though, really bad. So I'm not going to say the name of it for now, so let's just go with The Longest Night 2. Um, I've also been getting my book into as many bookstores as possible. It's now on Apple Books, Kobo, Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, of course, Google Books, and you can actually get it directly from me on my website, both paperback and ebook. I'm really, really happy with this, as it means the book is available everywhere. So, to celebrate, until the 1st of March 2021, the book is going to be 99 cent, only 99 cent, in every store except the Amazon stores. Go check it out on whatever store you want. You can find it on www.bookstoread.com slash thelongestnight. That's www.books2read.com slash the longest night. Now that website, the number it's the number two, so B O O K S numeral two read.com slash the longest night. And of course, links as always are in the show notes. Anyway, enough about me and my exciting mini relaunch of my book. Let's check out Mike and his app, Choose Your Reader. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Story of a Storyteller and my guest today is Mike Coles. How are you Mike? Fantastic, how are you? Good, I'm good. I'm excited to have you. Mike is, um, is you're, you're one of the first um, unusual storytellers in that uh, you don't have necessarily a novel to sell or, or a book, you have a, a whole library of books that you've essentially <laughs> written on, your, uh, on the wonderful app Choose Your Reader, which we will delve into as it comes up. Um, first, I'd like you to tell me a little bit about growing up and all that kind of a thing and where, you, where your roots are. Yeah, so born and raised in Dayton, Ohio, which uh, many of your listeners may not know about. So when I was a kid, the big thing that we were told about the city was that this is where the airplane was invented. 
And so Dayton, Ohio was the home of the Wright brothers and they had a bicycle shop in the community and they were tinkerers and sort of mechanic engineering types. And they built this plane that they then took all the way to North Carolina and flew at Kitty Hawk. And that's sort of the birth of aviation uh, in America. And so that was what I was always talked about, you know, sort of, this is what what Dayton, Ohio is known for. And years later, of course, when I was coming up, it it was more of a, an industrial automotive town really connected to the automotive industry in Detroit. And so lots of jobs were either directly related or ancillary uh, to that. And so that's kind of the environment that I grew up, a pretty, you know, blue collar industrial town uh, that I was in growing up. And uh, did you, do, do you have any siblings or what was the house like? Was there a lot of you or was it just a few? No, just a couple. It's just me and my sister. Uh, so we were, we are two years apart almost to the day. And, <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because we, by virtue of being male and female and she's a couple of years older, right? There was always this process of me following behind her and sometimes not liking the fact that I was her little brother uh, and some of the expectations that would come along with that. And then other times uh, being kind of glad that, you know, she was a couple of years ahead of me in high school. And so she had friends who were, you know, on the football team. And so I'm on the football team. And, and now all of a sudden they're not picking on me as the, the little guy, they're picking on the other guy because, you know, that's my older sister and they're friends with her. So okay. there are times where it was great. And then there are other times where you thought, ah, I don't want to be in this shadow. So <laughs> it was kind of fun to see both sides of that experience. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Uh, one thing I, as well, when you said the fact that you're uh, a boy and a girl, um, as a teacher, sometimes I can tell when there's siblings that are the same gender that the younger one always hates it because the teachers always in- inevitably call them by their older siblings name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah always feel bad about it about was like oh hey mike i mean oh sorry no that's your brother you know or whatever right but it has happened that has happened to me but the difference is my brother's younger um, <laughs> so i at the same time i kind of i totally understand it uh, some people just they're a louder personality and they end up uh, taking over your name <laughs> right that's right <laughs> and uh, how important was stories and reading and uh, all that kind of thing as you and your sister were growing up? Yeah, I was, I was a big reader, but not in the, what I'll call traditional book, right? I, I was a huge comic book fan. Oh, okay. And so when I say huge, I mean, I collected the, you know, again, I'm going to flash you back. So this is the early to mid eighties. And I was paying $10 for a comic book. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, so I would go and get these comic books and have the little cardboard inserts and the sleeves with them. And I was really active into collecting comic books. I, when I finally stopped, I probably had a couple hundred comic books. And that was a big part of me growing up as a storyteller was watching these characters that now my son, because of all the the Marvel movies, right? He is now appreciating and he's asking me stories and asking questions about them. And fortunately I was big into it. So I know the answers, but uh, yeah, so that's what I read mostly. And then I also read a lot of Jack London. I was, I, I love dogs. I've always been a dog fan. I'm crazy allergic to dogs. 
Really? Oh no. Oh my gosh, you have no idea how allergic I am. I, I, I true story. We're, we're storytellers, so I'm going to tell one. Yeah. Um, when I was a little baby, my mom got a dog and licked me in the face and I was off to the hospital. Oh, that allergic. That allergic. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. awful. <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing. I say this because like I, I've, I grew up on a farm and we always, at one point we had four dogs and like I, <clears throat> my partner and I, we've been together 11 years and I'd say 10 of those years was me going, can we get a dog? Can we get a dog? Can we get a dog? Yeah. Um, so that, that must be, to, to love something that you can't have, that's probably made you just love Oh, no, no. I, I've had two dogs in my life. We didn't oh, get rid really? of the one dog. We did not get rid of that dog. My mother was convinced that I could find a way to outgrow it and I did. Oh, great. Um, I ended up when I got my own house as an adult, I got my house. I remember buying it on a Friday and nine days later, I had a dog. <laughs> so no, I love dogs. I've, I've, I even wrote a book, a couple of books about my dog. Uh, for oh, the app. So yeah, no, I'm a huge dog fan and found a way to get over. I'm still allergic, but I suffer through it. <laughs> <laughs> that talk about I, I'd say suffering for your art, but that's just suffering for your love of dogs instead of your yeah. <laughs> it's so exciting. Um, any cat people, you just don't get it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> you said uh, Jack London was uh, was and, and the Marvel comics were your favorite stories. Um, uh, if you had to pick Call of the Wild or White Fine, oh wow, <laughs> uh, probably Call of the Wild. Same, yeah, yeah. Same. I, I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's it. they're fantastic books. I read them when I was a kid myself. Um, and yeah, I loved dogs before. And I think when you read those books, you just, you just love them 20 times more. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, if the, out of, out of all then um, the kind of Marvel stories and comic books and anything, was there anything in particular about them that kind of drew you, drew you to them? And was there one particular series of comics that has a kind of special place in your heart. Yeah, yeah. So um, what drew me to them was two parts of it, and, and they're both the same concept, which is duality. And I would not have been able to express it that way as a kid. Of course. But yeah. I understood it at a certain level, which is the duality of hero requires villain, mm -hmm. right? And then hero typically has this other side of, discomfort or separation or isolation. And then the villain often has a duality where the really good villains, whether it's film or books or you know comic books, they have this good goal in mind that they pursue with a path that is not a good path. And that's what turns them into a villain. And so I talk to my son about that a lot so that you know we talk about having a good motive is only going to work if you can pair it with honorable efforts behind yeah. it. Yeah. So I love that duality, both between the hero and the villain and the fact that the hero and the villain were needed to, to basically coexist. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to look at it. And I think that's, I think, I think you're right. I think that's one thing a lot of people like about comic book stories that there, there, there is a good and a bad and maybe not in, in some comic books and especially certain eras, but Usually the villain these days in comic books anyway always have a sympathetic goal, if not a sympathetic method towards that goal. Um, right. I mean, you only have to look at 
the well, it's not recent, but the Endgame and Infinity War movies that came out of the Marvel saga. Um, for those who didn't watch it, if you haven't watched it by now, you're probably never going to. So this isn't a spoiler. <laughs> uh, but the the main villain on that he his he realizes that overpopulation is a huge issue and there's not enough for people. So he decides to have the entire population and not population of the world, like the entire universe. And it's kind of like. I, I know what you're going for there, but that's not the way to go about it. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, comic books are really good capsules for an, an arc, mm-hmm. right? So that a person can form an idea, pursue that, and then come to some resolution at the end, both the hero and the villain. Yeah. And that, yeah, and that's what makes those, those stories really compelling. Yeah, I think you're right. And... One thing I think is very uncommon with anyone who read comic books growing up is we always try to make our own one at some point. So what was the first story, whether it be comic book or not, that you remember making? Gosh, um, so I remember very early on, uh, I had gotten into this thing where I was drawing dinosaurs. And so... I don't know if you remember this, but there was this method you could use where you could take a piece of paper and fold it so that there was uh, basically almost like a flip phone, right? Or a, a laptop, right? So there's one piece on top of the other. And you could draw one thing on the bottom page and one thing on the top page, and then you could roll a pencil with it. I don't know if you did this as a kid. This is, and you, about, no. this is an amazing thing. This was animation, okay? This okay. is what animation really began, became for me. Um, was basically you could put two pictures, top and bottom. You could roll the top page with a pencil. And then as you move the pencil back and forth, the top page would uncurl and curl. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, What's underneath, right? So we used to do that and try to tell stories about what was happening between these two scenes. And it was was a two-shot story right so you had to really encapsulate something meaningful on that first panel the first panel had to get you but then the second panel had to deliver on the promise of the first and so that was my first real sort of experience and I was not a very good artist I am not a drawing type at all and so I had a friend who is a phenomenal artist and he could just do some amazing things um, in terms of putting together visual displays. It was quite impressive. So those were kinds of, you know, as kids, when we would tell stories, that was really how we we made them come to life and not just, hey, let me tell you a story. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that, really And I think, I think, I think that a lot of people seem to have is that they seem to realize that there's really simple ways. And it's something I always try to get across that everyone is a storyteller. I mean, Yes. You know, just like I've written a book and I'm currently writing one that doesn't make me a better or worse storyteller than a script writer, than an actor, than a comic book artist, than a kid with a pencil and a flippy <laughs> animation thing. <laughs> Everything has a beginning and an end. Um, I don't know if the pe- you could call the pencil the middle, but... Uh... Yeah, <laughs> it was the, the slow reveal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 the buildup of tension. <laughs> um, so what do you think... I like because you, you you had this uh, love, little love of kind of playful animation, we'll call it. You have comic books, you have um, Jack London. What do you think? Was there any big thing, one thing that influenced you to love all these stories? Like, was there someone in your life that 
um, when you were younger that pushed you towards stories and reading and that? Or was it just something that was innate in you? You know, I, I think that there was a certain understanding that growing up in a, you know, it's a reasonable size city. There were probably 150,000 people or so in the city when I was growing up. So Sorry, I laugh because that's, that's like huge in terms of Irish cities and towns. But go on anyway. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a small city. Yeah. You know, where I live today in Texas, that's a suburb of Dallas, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, but knowing that I was there, and knowing that there was an entire world that I had never seen, one of the things that I really loved was maps growing up. Okay. And so that was what was really cool about Jack London was that I could sort of, in a map sense, imagine where these stories were taking place in the, you know, the far north. And, and so this was the escape to places I had never seen and might never see, mm. but could at least at a certain level appreciate. Yeah, yeah, I think I, that's that's cool, and it's I love books on the map. <laughs> yeah, they're always good. And do you do the same thing where when a new location is mentioned, you flip back to the front and look for it on the map to be like, oh, oh absolutely, good. absolutely, and try to figure out, um, you know, topography. And again, I wouldn't have been able to say it at that age, yeah. but I would have understood. You know, there's a mountain range and there's water, and and what does that mean? Um, you know, so I, I very much so, yeah, the map component of, and that's why also, you know, Jack London books are so great, particularly when you think about, you know, a dog sled traveling a great distance mm -hmm. and so many things happening along that path. That's an awesome way to sort of see a story in two levels, right? The, the progress of the, the character, but also the progress of the, the landscape. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something I didn't really think about too much, but you're, you're right. It is. It's very... Uh... And what's what's cool about the two the two biggest books that he wrote was um well most well known I should say is how it goes from one type of area to another like the fact that it starts that call the wild he starts as a pet a judge's pet in a very nice house and then ends Boom. up in the wild like and there's this gradual you can yeah. almost plot it through the book like the more wild he becomes the more wild the landscape becomes as well yeah like, exactly yeah. um. So you've mentioned your son a few times. Um, I'd, I'd like to get to know him a little bit, but obviously he's not coming on the show. So you'll have, you'll have to tell me about him. Uh, how old is he now? He's eight. Oh, okay. Brilliant. Yeah. And he, is he into Marvel Comics as much or is he more the movie guy? Or like, what, what does he read now? So he, he's <clears throat> very much into the, the, the movies themselves. And so we have seen, you know, there are a few at his age that are not quite, appropriate just yet yeah so we've we've skipped some of those but he has certainly seen a few of them uh, loves them and you know when I pick him up from school it is almost as if he has been waiting for me to pick him up with a question and so we'll get in the car and he will say who would win between and then he'll just give me some and then sometimes it's it's multiple characters on one side and you know some number of characters on the other side and and we'll, we've even gotten into confining the the battle between them and you know we discussed whether or not they had advanced notice of the fight and they could plan or was it a spontaneous fight so that strategy wasn't really an opportunity yet and you know so we go through all these kinds of variations so he loves them. Uh, and then of course he's reading and, and reading a lot I mean that's what I love to see is that he's reading so much and so he's reading 
Um, you know, we just finished uh, the second of the Percy Jackson books. Oh, yeah, they're brilliant. Yeah, so he's, he's into that. Uh, he's got tons of stuff that he reads related to school. So he's probably at any one time reading two or three books. Yeah, that's, that's one thing. I'm, the, one of the very few things I miss about being a kid, I'd much rather being an adult, <laughs> is the ability to read more than one book at a time and keep track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, at the, the, one of the classes I support and teach, they, have, they all have their books that they read at home. Then there's the book that you read when it's just quiet, chill out, reading time. And then there's the book everyone's reading together and discussing and doing work on. And they're all well able to keep up. I cannot do that anymore. I lost that skill. You're right. I'm sure some adults can, has retained it, but I never did. <laughs> yeah, it is. So I can, and in fact, I prefer to write two or three things at a time. Oh, really? Okay. No, I thought I cannot do. I tried that once and it just was a business. <laughs> Fair play. <laughs> um, and then, of course, so I asked about your son because I'm, I'm leading up to choose your reader. Um, could you perhaps, we'll keep your son on the back burner for a second. Tell us what choose your reader is and then tell us how it relates to your son and why you started it. Yeah. So choose your reader is a mobile app. And it allows you to record your voice reading to someone that you know. And the idea is that you've got the illustrated book in front of you on the app. The words are highlighted as you go, sort of like karaoke. Yeah. And that helps you with pacing. It's recording your voice. Then you have a file that you can share. And so you can send it to one or one million people, whatever it is that you want to do they receive it and now they have this content in their own library. And I called it Choose Your Reader because the idea is that when a kid is receiving this content from all the people in their life, grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, mom, dad, they are building a virtual library. And now when they decide they want to have Rumpelstiltskin or Cinderella, they choose who they want to read that for this particular instance. Right. So in other words, it's a, uh... Mm, no, I think, you know, Aunt Marion did a really good job reading Cinderella. So I listened to her read that, but but Uncle Jim was 10 times better reading Peter Pan. I'm going to listen to him do that kind of Exactly, thing. exactly. Very, very good. And then uh, what was your, uh, how does it relate to your son? And, well, I know, but for the watchers and the listeners, how does it relate to your son? And why, like, I suppose I'm asking two questions, but it's the one answer. One, how does it relate to your son? And two, why did you make it in the first place? Yeah, so the idea that I had was uh, I was going through a divorce, having that time that we were separated. I was doing a lot of reading of the books and all of that when we were together, but then that just goes away when we're not. And so I thought, okay, there surely has to be a way that we can, from a technology standpoint, continue that experience when I'm not there. And I was shocked to find that there was no really good way to do that. It did not exist. And so I just, you know, I'm not a tech guy. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer by day and a storyteller by just sort of lifestyle. And I thought, is there a way for me to fill this gap? And is there a way for me to take this inspirational moment of longing and missing something and then build something that bridges the gap, not just for me, but for you know, millions of families, parents, grandparents, people who are 
and you know deployed in the military or people who work travel for work uh, families that have lost a loved one can keep that heirloom that they've created when they were around all these different applications that basically bridge the gap of time and space yeah and it's it's I, I was complimenting the idea before we started recording um it, it really I, I'm a huge fan I think I, I think it's a it's a it's a really heartfelt idea, if that makes sense. Like, uh, it's a technological answer to, um, uh, I suppose, a problem that's caused that nobody wants to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's something that just happens. And, you know, divorce is tricky and families having to separate for one reason or another. And this is just an excellent, in my opinion, <laughs> an excellent way to, to attempt to bridge that gap. So what... How old was your son when um, you when you and his mother were divorcing, and how did you talk to him about it, or was he too young at the time? Yeah, he was too young to really get it, um, and so he was uh, to answer your question. So really, by the time he was one, one and a half, uh, things were already in motion. Okay. And so by the time he was two two and a half, everything was done. Oh, okay. and so uh, the, the reality was for him, he doesn't even remember that window of time. And, and frankly, that was the goal was, look, if we know this is going to happen, let's not extend it in such a way that he has that emotional moment of a change. Mm. And so the life that he's known his entire time is dad's around and dad's available, but mom and dad aren't together. Okay. And he doesn't have that that moment of a shift within the family dynamic. Okay, yeah, it's a, it's a an interesting way to go about it. Um, I'm sure I'm sure if every couple that ended up divorcing could have looked back and said, "This isn't going to work. We know it's not." You're kind of saying, "Let's let's cut the cord now and do the least amount of damage to our son." Um, I'm sure I'm sure that was hard to come to that decision. Like, was it? Was there any kind of debate of maybe we should just try and bear it out for the sake of our, our, our son? Or like, was it always, were the two of you always, no, this isn't going to work. We should do it now. Yeah, it was pretty well known. So one of the things that I always thought about is, you know, I hear that a lot. And I've had, at my age, I've had friends who have tried to make that work. And, you know, mm. ultimately the kids hit. 18 go off to college or what have you and then the parents split up and my thinking was happy parents raise happy kids yeah and so when I thought about each decision that was going to be made my question was really what makes for an optimal parent because the circumstances can change over time no matter what Right. So you could plan for let's stay together um, until the kids reach 18, but you can't control so many variables in that process. Yeah. Rather than start picking an arbitrary date, ask yourself, what is going to make me the better parent through the arc of their formative years? Yeah. And do that. Yeah. Do that thing before you do anything else. So even though it's it's kind of it's kind of an oxymoron you're kind of looking after your own happiness first but you're doing that because you know the domino effect that if if you look after your own happiness now you'll be happier for your the 
majority if not most of your son's uh childhood and being a happy parent creates a happy kid that's right yeah. that's right bringing the joy to the relationship uh, is the key for the beginning right you, yeah. you know I, I was actually talking to my mother last night about uh, a difficult discussion i had with my son last night he had some homework he didn't actually bring the homework home so when it was time to do the homework it wasn't there and so how do you have the difficult conversation of being a parent, especially me, where, you know, as a non-custodial parent, you're supposed to be, you know, a lot of parents try to have this, all the time you spend with me is sunshine and, you know, the birds are singing and, and everything's great yeah. because I want everything with me to be fantastic because it's limited. Mm. I do not take that approach. I take the approach that says I want my time to be valuable. Yeah. And so I can have that difficult conversation with him about preparing for success is more than just wanting to do well, but rather actually functionally doing the things up front. And so having that conversation with him and then giving him a hug and saying, you are an incredibly gifted young man and the opportunity for you to do something fantastic is right in front of you. And all you have to do is prepare yourself to be great. And then you'll have the opportunity to be great. Yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, no, you're doing a good, <laughs> you're, you're, you're doing a good job. If I, if I, a stranger from the other side of the world could say so, but I think it's more like I'm when just that conversation. I'm thinking of that from the other side of it, from your son having to go into school the next day and be like, I, I don't know if he calls you the teachers, uh, sir or miss or, Connor or not but uh you know to have that discussion with the teacher and say look I, I I've done a homework done because I forgot my book or I, I lost the whatever or the dog ate it um you know I think that's really important because I always see the other side of it uh, where kids might purposely leave their book behind because they don't want to do it or maybe they find it too tricky and I'll always do the uh, like have I suppose the other half of the conversation you had with your son and say why are you avoiding the homework like is it too difficult? Is it not difficult enough? Which some kids look at me and say, what? And I'm saying, well, if you don't find it interesting and if you're not happy that you achieved something and you, you broke through the challenge that you were doing, then I can give you different homework. You know, it's, it's kind of, you have to, it's all about having a discussion. And by having that discussion with your son, you're kind of setting him up to have another discussion in the future with the same thing. Like, Listen, this isn't working for me. I, I need help kind of a thing. You know, it's funny, the, the word you used is the word that I used last night, which is challenge. Oh. And I tell you, you know, the, you have to make sure that there's a challenge there for you. Mm. And so maybe the challenge is not two plus two is four, right? You might nail that. Maybe the challenge is being organized and preparing yourself to get the work done. Yeah. Right. And so understand that the whole process of getting the work done is not just one answer to one problem yeah um to, to, to if you want if you want to have something in your back pocket for the next time he forgets his homework <laughs> um but i always say to kids that say oh connor i did my homework but i forgot to put it in my bag my response is oh so you didn't do your homework and i say no no, no i did and i'll say no no you didn't because part of your homework is putting your homework in your bag you right you organize and you have to look after yourself and you know that's 
that's one of the main reasons I would give homework as a teacher is to foster that independence and stuff. So you can uh, put that in your back pocket for another time. <laughs> I, like I like that. Um, so after, after you and your ex-wife uh, separated and all that, like at what point did you start thinking about choose your reader? Like, like I suppose, what was the timeline like from, you're, div you're divorced uh, to, hey, here's this app, let's try it out with my son. Yeah, so I can tell you very specifically, oddly enough, I remember where I was. It was September, 2016. I was in a hotel room mm. and I had this thought that I wanted to read to my son right then and there. <clears throat> and, you know, there was no way to do it. And there were some books that I had. So, you know, kids want you to make up stories. And so I was making up stories and I was typing them on my computer after the fact so that when he asked for the story a second time, I had it to read to him a second time. Okay. So I had the stories, but I just wanted to read one to him. And so I thought to myself that night, there ought to be a way. And I spent, and I, I kid you not, I was up till about 2 a.m. working on the workflow because once I got into thinking about it, I couldn't stop. Mm. And so that night in that hotel, I built the primary structure of Choose Your Reader. Okay. And so not with a, a tech background, but on a, on a PowerPoint, <laughs> right? And so um, I just did that without knowing much else, no, no other way that I could articulate this vision, but a PowerPoint. And I still have that PowerPoint and I still go back to it. Uh, when I think about what are we doing, I go back to the original PowerPoint because that was the, the soul of this idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. so, yeah, so that's when it started. Um, I remember naming it in January of 2017 and finding my developer took a while and then closing that, that loop uh, and I, I started, and so I had two efforts. My first one was a failed effort, uh, May of 17 through May of 18. Just never quite got it across the finish line. Oh, that must have been difficult because that's a, that, like, well, this is your first app to develop and you hadn't gone through this process. Well, I'm assuming you haven't gone through the process of uh, starting up something like that. So when May 2018 came and you, you uh, again, like you, you, you kind of cut the cord there and said, no, this isn't working. Like, was that... How hard was that? Because you're after sinking a year into, into something and yeah. you're going, right, well, I have nothing to show for it. Let's start again. Well, so I didn't think that I had nothing to show for it. Oh, okay, good. Um, I thought that I had... I'm just well, pessimistic. <laughs> well, no, I'm, uh, you're about to see true optimism here. Okay, go, go, go. Uh, You know, I spent probably close to $20,000 for oh. a really nice drawing of the app. Oh. <laughs> Right. But along the way, they at least asked so many questions about functionality mm. that it was crystallized. Oh, OK. OK. And so the second developer was able to skip all of that and was able to take these really nice pictures and make them oper operational. Right. Okay. That, that was the key. Right. So the back end operations weren't really coming along but the front end user interface was. Oh. So I was able to say, I've got a great interface concept 
You just need to make it work. But I now know the challenges of what, what, what wouldn't work with the first developer. So I'm able to ask you some really pointed questions about how you would solve these challenges. And if your answer mirrors what they attempted, I know we're on the wrong track. Okay, yeah. So I suppose you're kind of thinking, well, here's a year and I have all that experience of how it doesn't work. So let's let's just try and fast forward through that year with you and see does it work. And was the second developer, the, the that was the person you're still working with now? Like are they? Yeah, yeah. It took them roughly four months. Oh, okay, wow. So I suppose yeah. that shows how bad the first developer was. <laughs> well, and, and like I said, well, to some extent, right? yeah. but just there's some, what it shows is both the value of that first work that I was insistent on mining it for value. Mm. Right? I think that's the important part is that when we hit the wall of non-completion, you can't throw it all out and try to start over. You have to, and it took me about two months and stepping back and saying, what am I going to do? And then deciding what I would do and how I would leverage what I had already invested and then move forward a second time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, um, that phrase you just said of mining it for value, that's sticking with me. I know already, even though you just said it, I know I'm going to be thinking because <laughs> I know my first, um, <clears throat> proper attempt I suppose at writing a novel um it was it was rubbish <laughs> it was atrocious and it was 50,000 words long but I'd say there's maybe 10 words worth in in there, you know that kind of thing and I, I was always annoyed because I loved the idea and the concept and the symbolism and the analogies I was using and I just said oh it's a shame you know because now it's wasted but now hearing you say that like you mind that year and and money that you spent for value. You said, well, what, what can I get out of there that I can apply to something better and greater? So um, thank you. <laughs> um, do you think, was that, was, that, was that the biggest challenge of getting Choose Your Reader off the ground or was there something else or anything else that, was there any more pitfalls you had to jump over or anything like that from there on? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the way I think of it is um, I am looking for the next pitfall to get across or get over. Right. right? So uh, the, it's not a function of get it done and then celebrate that you've accomplished it, but rather get it done because you've crossed one hurdle and it's a, it's a 10 hurdle race. Hmm. And so, yeah. So the first task was to get something that worked. Right. And when we did that, along the way, I was independently investing in the content. So I'd already written the stories, mm. but I can't draw. Yeah, as we established earlier. <laughs> so I've got to go find illustrators. Mm. So while the developer is on his path, I'm on an entirely separate path of finalizing content. Okay. But I only had five books that I had written for my son. You cannot consider a library of five books. books. Yeah, that's a shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and not a very big, not a very big shelf, right? So, um, so I needed to then have a content development strategy. Mm. And so we spent time, and I was out there, and I was both writing 
and obtaining licenses for books. And so we've gotten that book content up to now over a hundred books in five languages. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. So that was its own hurdle. Now, while that's happening, I'm refining the app and refining the app and adding new content that's independently generated or acquired. And now that we've reached that milestone, the thing is we have something amazing and it's the world's best kept secret. Yeah. Right. Always the trouble with anybody that does something themselves, like the same with me as an independent author and a podcaster, like, Hey, I have this great, I have this great book and I have this great show, but nobody knows about it. So how, how are you getting, cause I'm sure our markets are completely different. Um, so how, apart from doing podcasts like this and talking about it, how else are you trying to get, choose your reader into people's hands? Yeah. So, you know, there's the obvious social media sort of, um, you know, marketing process. Yeah. That's out there. But separately, one of the things that I'm looking at is getting with people who are authors that we get their content on the app, who have their own independent audience. Oh, very good. Yeah. And say, now let's leverage your audience to let them know that your content is available in another platform. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're exploring a lot of different options intentionally to basically hit the, the best process of getting some coverage. So we've gotten some, some written press and some podcasts and I've done some, uh, you know, actual, uh, you know, paid advertising out there. And so it's just the process of letting people know that there's this new thing. And, and the thing is that it's not a new problem. The problem has existed no. yeah. forever, yeah. right? And so if it's not a new problem, everyone's been either solving it a different way. And you saw during the pandemic in particular, but even before people using Facebook or using uh, YouTube, uh, there's people have told me stories of recording on a tape recorder and mailing a book with a cassette tape, right? Yeah. All of these are workarounds. And the goal is for people to understand you don't have to work around this anymore. There is a direct solution available that just solves that problem entirely. And so then there's an entire population that just accepts the problem as existing in their life. And that's the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to get them to think about, no, this is not a circumstance of life that you can't overcome. This is a problem. And there is an actual readily available solution and it's not terribly expensive. <laughs> most importantly <laughs> i think that's one thing though uh, um like i i was mentioning to you earlier there was a, a point uh before we recorded there was a point in my life where um my parents weren't uh in the same house and i didn't see one of them um very often from one end of the year to the other and now that was the early 90s so you know this technology wasn't around but i think that's the thing the problem isn't the problem is so not new like it's so old that people just accept that there is no solution and anyone who does try to come up with a solution they're doing very one-on-one -on -one, very basic things like even when i even when we were first in touch before today um i was even thinking about well sure i mean why why how would this app work i mean all you need to do is just put up a zoom call or, or facetime or whatever and just i'll read the book but no like once i downloaded the app and explored it a bit i was like oh wait 
this is class. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, um, like, it sounds like you have a lot on your plate, if you don't mind me saying. So, I mean, you mentioned you're you're a lawyer by day. Um, what out of just pure curiosity, what type of law do you practice? Yeah, I'm a corporate lawyer in for the most part. With I have a separate area where I do quite a bit of immigration and some employment work. Oh, okay. So uh, a big chunk, and then a little bit of a little bit of A and B and C and D as well. Right. Um, so between that, which is a full time job, <laughs> and I don't think anyone who is a lawyer would say that you know you have a huge amount of free time. <laughs> um, that creating content for Choose Your Reader, uh, licensing books, reaching out to authors, and being a father. Like, how, how do you juggle all that? Like, what, what, how do you prioritize? So, you know, prioritizing is a two-part process. Everything has to have an overarching priority, right? But the real question is, in this one moment, what am I going to do right here, right now? That's the tricky part. And I think a lot of people, and me included, sometimes you get to the point of feeling so overwhelmed that there's so much to do that you've got this paralysis through analysis. Yeah. Right? And so instead of doing that, I mean, one of the things that I do is I make lists of things to accomplish and I decide which things can be done quickly and have a turnaround and which things are going to take a little longer. And I decide which things have deadlines and which things have a a more urgent need. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, and and I I don't kid when I say this, right, but there was a period where I wasn't sleeping very much. Mm. And Choose Your Reader was the thing I could go to when I just couldn't sleep and be productive. And so... Um, you know, I sleep with my laptop near the bed and I'm sure that any sleep therapist of any sort would say I have broken rule number one, but if the priority is to get as much sleep as possible, they're right. If the priority is to try to build something amazing, I think I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose that's the thing. It's all about priority. You're right. Cause, um, uh, I meant, I mentioned this in a, in a, in a podcast that I was on actually as a guest, um, where, I read this book, um, it's called Level Up Your Life by Steve Calm. And it's actually a, a fitness book, really. It's about you know, prioritizing working out and stuff. But there was one phrase in it, I think you've kind of said the same thing, but in a different way, that if somebody says, I don't have time for that, that you should stop saying that and instead say, that isn't a priority. And right. straight away, because you know, if, if, if you're saying that about, oh, I don't have time to watch every, every episode of The Simpsons, then changing that to, well, watching every episode of Simpsons isn't a priority. That's fine. But then if you're saying about something that should or is a priority to you and you realize, oh, I'm saying I don't have time to uh, pick up my son from school every day or to talk to him about Marvel Comics, then it hits you and you're like, no, no, there's something wrong here. That is a priority. I'm just not prioritizing it. I'm not, I'm not juggling the things right, you know? That's um, right. So you've kind of you've hit the nail on the head there. Uh, so I'm assuming you're still writing more books for Choose Your Reader. Is there anything in particular you're writing right now or working on? Yeah, so I am, I told you I do two or three things at the same time. Mm, yeah. So uh, I didn't even tell you that I'm a screenplay, I, I'm a screenwriter. Um, so 
That's right. I sorry. I now because I think you said it to me in the first message you sent on Matchmaker or something, and that you literally just as you said that I was like, oh no, I didn't ask about that. So yeah, yeah. that. So I'm actually working on a, a a superhero screenplay, but turning the entire concept of a superhero on its head. Okay. And so, um, you know, I, I won't I won't spoil it for anyone in case it actually ever gets made. But it's it's very much this idea that superheroes are dual in their existence. Okay, which and, is what you were talking so, about earlier. Yeah. Right, and it's it it injects what I would like to call this healthy dose of reality into the superhero genre. Mm. And in that way forces you to sort of reconcile this idea that you want to be a superhero, right? It doesn't matter if it's a Marvel when you're a kid or if you go watch a James Bond movie as an adult and you come out of the theater and there's this sort of invigorated sense that you have of your ability to accomplish something. Yeah. And we all want to be a superhero at some point. And so this takes that idea and really turns it on its head. Um, so I'm working on that. And then I am, I'm working on two other things. The first is um, not really original content from me, but I have a degree in African-American history. And so uh, there's a, a book of poetry that I have that is, you know, 19th century African-American poetry. And so I've gone through that book and found what I thought were really nice, interesting poems that are applicable and, and really appropriate for that very young audience. Okay. And so I'm looking to make now a book of selected poems from that era for this audience. Okay, very good, yeah. And then my third book, um, which I think, with it, the basis of it you'll, you'll perhaps appreciate is um, I'm writing a cookbook. I love to cook, but I am writing it in the style of the Canterbury Tales. Oh, okay. Very cool. Very cool. And that, that must be hard. No, like I can't imagine how to write. To, to like, how do you make a recipe sound? Sorry. Yeah. I'm, that's interesting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the basic premise is, imagine a campfire. Okay. A bunch of kids sitting around the campfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Telling stories about things they've eaten. Oh, okay, okay. The you. story is the recipe. Yeah, well, I suppose that's the thing, because I, I know, just when you say that, I know it's something a lot of people who enjoy cooking sometimes don't like, is when they search, I don't know, something, something recipe, and then you have to scroll through the whole thing. I was like, and then my grandmother did this and she came yes. from this. <laughs> so you're kind of taking that and making it the whole point, I suppose. That's right. Because the idea is to get kids reading about food, understanding food. And then you could actually say, hey, mom, hey, dad, hey, whomever, let's go make that dish. Yeah. And then what, we, what I've done is basically carved up appropriate tasks for the adult and appropriate tasks for the kid so it even talks through and helps the kid know what they're supposed to do and when very good very very good um what what has been the most difficult part of writing in general like is it is it 
it doesn't seem you, you seem to have like all cylinders firing so it doesn't seem to be coming up with the idea um if you don't mind me saying so uh so what what is what's the most difficult part of writing and storytelling for you and how do you overcome that so probably the most difficult thing for me is it, here comes that duality on the one hand being too tough of a critic on yourself mm. and then on the other hand being confident that what you are thinking of and what you're actually creating has genuine value. Yeah. Right. So there's that moment when you want to say, you know, I had this idea for a cookbook about 18 months ago. Mm. And I finally got to the point. Um, I started playing with food and, and, and literature. And so I wrote a series of haiku about food that's going to come out at the beginning of actually it'll be when this airs, it'll just be coming out. I, I expect uh, on the app. And so, um, so that was the beginning was just working with food in a literary sense and honing some skills with that. Then deciding is a cookbook, even something kids want. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then having to come to grips with the reality that I am not trying to pitch a cookbook to 88% or whatever some magic number is of the kids that might ever encounter this app. But rather, there's like 4% of kids that are going to be interested in it. And of that 4%, 1% might someday choose a career in culinary arts spawned by, at least in part, access to this content and if i can do that then the value of the content has been realized time and time again for me every time that person cooks it will be it will mean something so what you're basically saying is you're trying to be someone else's jack london was to you <laughs> like to, to this I, mean, I, I, I hate to put myself in that echelon but uh you did, you did it i did, I did. it's okay <laughs> it's fine fine i got you <laughs> Um, so we're, we're kind of coming up towards the, the end of the interview and I have a couple of questions that I always ask everybody because I'm always very look this podcast is purely born out of me being very nosy and wanting to know everything about everybody um, <laughs> so what uh, what are you going to do now when we've said our goodbyes and the recording's over what's, uh, what's task number one on your day today so task number one uh, you know the challenge is email right is yeah. always it just proliferates so uh, whenever I stop anything, the first thing I do is check email, phone, text, whatever, to make sure that I'm up to date on transactions or events that might have come in that aren't necessarily something I would have prioritized, but I should have. Hmm. So that's always step one. Step two is then I have a board right there. And that board tells me what I need to get on top of. And so look at the board and, and look at the clock and say, you know, I've got to pick my son up here in about two hours. Yeah. Okay. How much can I accomplish in two hours? Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and then, you know, let's go. Very good. Um, I think that's something we all struggle with storytellers or not. It's like, Oh, I have an hour and a half. What can I do in that time? <laughs> so, yeah. And we usually again. wait about 40 minutes of it thinking about what we could have done. Analysis paralysis. Yes. Yeah. See, I listen. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> you've mentioned, I feel like you've answered this, but I'll just ask in case you haven't. I mean, 
you have you you obviously want to choose a reader to to get into more people's hands because you believe in it so much you have a screenplay and a cookbook and a collect a poetry a poetry anthology that you're putting together is there any other goal that you have as a writer um let, let's say let's say long term because i feel we have your short and middle term kind of covered so what, what would be a long-term goal for you as a storyteller and as a writer a long-term goal for me would be to meet someone that was inspired by something i wrote oh cool yeah yeah that would be awesome yeah no matter what it was uh, but someone would say oh i loved that and not just i loved it but and here's where i am as a result of it yeah. right i want to be able to move the needle for them in some meaningful way yeah i, th- I think that's some that that'd be I feel like you could have, you could earn millions in book sales, but if you didn't have that moment, it's, it's, it's something, it's something I, do, I think every writer has in common, but I don't think we all would say that necessarily to, to meet someone that say, this got to me, this, this affected me and I changed a little bit because of it, you know? Um, so yeah, it's nice that somebody finally admitted that's what we're all thinking. <laughs> Um, it's just you, right? <laughs> it's, just, it's just you and me, right? I can yeah, admit that. no one else is listening into this conversation. It's fine. <laughs> um, is there any goals you have that's nothing to do with writing and storytelling at all that you'd like to share? Oh gosh. Um, so you know, short-term goals. Um, I'll say that. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm very anxious for this moment when we can say that. COVID has been uh, in meaningful ways behind us. I am somewhat concerned that it may never truly be behind us, that it may be with us um, for a long time, but at least not in a way that adjusts our lives in this way. And so I say that to say that my son and I, uh, he is very interested in tennis. Mm. And so we had a big plan this summer to go to a major tennis tournament and that was derailed. So uh, I love to travel with him, see new places, but also to do something that he enjoys and that I enjoy. Uh, So that if if possible next year, I would love to take him to a really good, large audience filled tennis tournament so that he can get that, that experience. Yeah. And that's, I I think you're right. There's so many things all of us have that we want to do that we just can't because COVID and everything. It's just, it's, it's so, it's so infuriating, isn't it? Like, cause this, yeah. you have to change everything. And that, I think that's one thing we all, everyone has found difficult. Um, the kind of this COVIDian era we're kind of going through. Cause even though it's only been, what, like nine months, it feels like <laughs> so much longer. Um, right. So yeah, I think we, we, everyone, everyone has that. Everyone has that goal. They're like, Oh, I just want to, I just want to do this one thing. Um, so last three questions then where can people find you and find choose your reader and all that kind of a thing yeah so if you any app store i say you know the apple and android app stores if you just type in choose your reader uh, you'll see us there download it we've got a free trial so people can use it and check it out Uh, they can find us there and obviously choose your they can find us there and, and connect with us and even Oddly enough, like we're looking for content. So if someone's got a story they want us to check out, they can go there and and let us take a look at it. Uh, Then 
for my law firm work, you know, they can always look me up, Coles Firm, C-O-L-E-S-F-I-R-M.com, and they can find me there as well. Very good. Excellent. And um, my last question is, uh, what was the last book you read? Oh, God, well, you, oddly enough, we, we, we just talked about it. Um, and so, yeah, um, it's an anthology of African-American poetry. Uh, <laughs> I, I just read through that in order to do the work that I was working on to pull together these poems. Um, so it's a, it's a great book. I, re- I actually have it from when I was in college mm. uh, 27 years ago. And so I've got it still and ended up reading through it and found a great bunch of content for the app. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, Mike, thank you so much for uh, coming on to the show and telling us your story and telling us all about you as a reader. And um, I, I can't wait to see it do as well as I imagine it will do. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I enjoy being on the show. I cannot thank Mike enough for coming on the show, and it was great to get to know him. If you're interested in checking out Choose Your Reader, be sure to go over to their website, chooseyourreader.com. It's also on the Google App Store and the Apple App Store. Like my book. Haha. <laughs> uh, be sure to tune in next week when I'll be interviewing Lally A. Love, a Canadian author and poet who basically gives me a lesson in spirituality. Um, I say this in the interview with Lally, but I did a, a kind of a an assessment on my well-being um, back maybe a year or two ago, and I was struck by the fact that it, it, it kind of categorized well-being into 22 different subsections. And my lowest score was my spirituality well-being and I was both didn't care about that but also was a bit confused by what does that mean um so it was a great experience to get to chat to Lally about what spirituality is to her and I learned an awful lot from her but that's next week before you go please please head over to podchaser.com slash story of a storyteller to leave a review for the show Every little click gets um, the show noticed a bit more and helps more people find it. And the more people find it, the more that I can spread the joy of all these wonderful stories around. You'll find a link to that in the show notes as well. And that's it from me. So, see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you loved listening to this episode just as much as I loved recording it. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or over on Podchaser. Until then, be good, be brave, and tell stories. See ya!